Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow. 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 Unlike Bill Clinton, and uh, we did inhale on that one. Wow. Excuse me. Friday, March 19th. 18th even. It's 2022. I can confirm that. And this here is Morning Combat. The show that all it does is win, 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 no matter what. The show that I'm sure you wish your favorite show could look and sound a lot more like. I'm the beige bastard with the matching hat to my skin tone. It's the BBC with that BDE, the American Alpha in the flesh, Brian Campbell. And the guy next to me, I mean, what a week for for the turnaround in this guy's personality. Luke, you know, I came from the other side of the tracks. In my high school, there were girls who, you know, were con- were, were were looked at as being from that other side. And then, you know, they had runs where they cleaned it up and dated a jock and they were part of the mainstream. Luke, you've made a similar turn, Luke Thomas, in the beloved nature of your personality. Two days removed from a glorious rendition of uh, of a man we don't talk about on this show, Bruno. Uh, you are back in the flesh, back from Jersey City. Luke, am I wrong to say you're damn near likable these days? Uh, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. I don't think that's true, but uh, I guess some people got a kick out of the Encanto um, karaoke. Some people, by the way, it's amazing. On social media, I got more negative reactions to the coffee rant anything else but what are you gonna do okay there are a lot of soccer moms out there uh luke thomas this award-winning program that you co-star in is back today to set the stage for the weekend of fights to come everything from ufc fight night in london to bodybuilder boxing we got you covered here today on mk and luke i don't want to put pressure on you and i today to to deliver but i don't know if you know the the ones that know you know those ones that know um they claimed Monday show, as you look at our social handles, you can follow us at, like the video, subscribe to what we're doing here on MK. They claim Monday show was the greatest regular MK episode of all time, meaning See, from I our houses, I... no frills. And then, Luke, they claimed Wednesday's, you know, uh, trash compactor episode with the with the Wheel of Death was the greatest episode in this show's history. That's saying LT, a lot. 
How do you follow that today? How do you? Uh, you don't. We dramatically decline in performance, and then we look back at that as being a nice winning streak. We're now in the official hitting slump. Uh, you know, listen, I thought. I, listen, Wednesday's show was definitely great. I thought Monday's show was good. I didn't think it was like that good, but if the fans like it, I'm happy. That's great. All right. Well, uh, shout out to everybody for enjoying the the hijinks that went on Wednesday. Look, when you get you and I together. It is a special thing, so please check out Wednesday's Wheel of Death, not only in Kanto Karaoke, but uh, good Lord, Luke, the on-screen reveal of our of our fine Canadian-born documentarian, uh, Jake Von Amsterdam. What a, what a, <laughs> wow, Luke. I'm not wow. calling him Jake Von Amsterdam. Uh, that's, a, that's a porn name, and he is not the kind of guy who would get a title like that, so I'm just going to call him Jake. How about that? Okay, all right, there it is. Uh, Luke, we would like people to uh, attend our merch site. It's morningcombat.store. You can get not only what's left of uh, our St. Paddy's Day special edition merch brought to you by the one and only R.J. Dunkelmaker himself. But Luke, for you, meaning gross people like you, um, yeah, thanks to Danger Mouse for birthing this idea, you can get the adult version of the morning combat t-shirt i mean luke what what is your fan i mean luke what the hell is your family gonna say when they see you wearing that same thing that they always say when i wear mk gear nothing <laughs> <laughs> uh morning store gives you the edgiest designs in in merch history right now luke did your did your wife mother-in-law and beautiful daughter tuki see the encanto we don't talk about bruno performance what was their reaction Yes, I did send it to them. Um, I, actually, what did they write? They wrote, they laughed a bunch. They made a little bit of fun of me. Uh, and let's see, I think one of the words my mother-in-law chose, let's see, what did she say? Oh, yes. Uh, now she goes, okay, so my mother-in-law goes, now I know where Viola gets her singing voice. <laughs> um, I should do a duet with Viola is another one. And then... Uh, Penny Al is all they said. That was great. All right. Well, so, shout know. out to many of our celebrity friends who enjoyed that as well. Kayla Harrison, we're looking at you. Um, Luke Thomas, uh, Showtime is the label that pays us, and Showtime.com can give you 30 days free. And again, guys, is there a better time right now than 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 big-time must-see Bellator events, including Friday night, April 15th, Pitbull, McKee, too? Are you kidding me? Uh, Showtime Championship Boxing, uh, BC on, uh, on this shit, on Showbox. And Luke, uh, I've been told. I've been told this before, but I've been told in May that Morning Combat Strike Force Classics, that fantastic series that paid us a lot of TV money during the pandemic to do, it will be on the Showtime app streaming in the month of May. So I've been told that. Okay, we'll see what happens. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's great to see. Those are actually pretty fun for pandemic content. That was that was pretty cool. I've been pushing for it. Apparently, it takes longer than I thought. But shout out to the five folks at Showtime. It's coming. It's on the way. Uh, I don't think I've got much else to say, Luke. Anything from you? <clears throat> no. Um, excited for the weekend of fights. Not the biggest fights ever. I think last weekend was a little bit busier, but definitely some decent gems all the way around. I'm pumped. And if you're looking for bonus content beyond just our three live shows per week, go to YouTube.com slash Morning Combat right now. Luke and I, as you know, were in the bomb shelter this past week, or the uh, the M Cave. I don't know what we're calling it. The, 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 the Donk Dungeon. We had Steven Espinoza in studio, Showtime Sports President. And, and look, it wasn't a, a all puff and donuts, Luke. We asked him the hard questions about the boxing calendar, about 
uh, free agent names and more. Also, great interviews with some of the Showtime boxers that you'll be seeing featured uh, from the PBC over the next few months uh, and beyond. Everyone from Tim Zhu to Stephen Fulton Jr., David Benavides, talking a lot of that that shit, Luke, that trash. Um, who else we got, Luke? Anybody else I'm forgetting? Steven Espinosa, David Benavidez, Erickson Lubin, Tim Zhu, Stephen Fulton. Those are all the ones I think we did, right? Yeah, yeah. Good shit right there. Check that out. All right. Without any further ado, uh, shout out to Corey uh, Manich on the ones and twos right now. We're going to get this show rolling here. Let's start off with our top story of the day, and it is the final uh, paces being stepped closer to that octagon as the UFC returns to London. A fight night card main evented by a heavyweight matchup with, with very, very important Top 10 title considerations considerations going on here as Tom Aspinall, red hot with the crowd at his back, taking on the battle-tested Alexander Volkov. Luke, as we stand right now, you mentioned it on Wednesday, it's still true, our friends at DraftKings, minus 120 is Tom Aspinall, the riser, as the betting favorite, plus 100 for Volkov. As we get closer here, and Aspinall, by the way, had uh, sparred with Tyson Fury Boxing's heavyweight champion. So that was the facilitator behind Fury throwing support ahead of this training camp here. But Luke, when we get these guys in the cage, forget about their streaks, their potential. Let's talk about this fight. What separates these two entering Saturday night? The biggest difference between them, you you might say, well, Volkov is huge and he's got a long reach, but it's not so significant. They've got him... I think he's taller than this, but they've got Volkov listed at 6'7 with an 80-inch reach. By the way, that would still put him four inches shorter on his reach than John Jones. I mean, just think about how long that dude's arms are. It's ridiculous. But Tom Aspinall, 6'5. That's not much shorter. You saw at the at the weigh-ins, or excuse me, the face-offs for the uh, media day. It, it was maybe a little bit shorter than that, but he has a 78-inch reach, so it's not that much smaller. So from a physical dimension, there is a difference, but it's not significant. BC, I'm gonna say. The biggest difference has got to be strength of schedule. Um, that does not mean Tom Aspinall can't or won't win. In fact, I like his chances to win. But Volkov has been tested against the very best this division has to offer, for the most part, certainly in tip basing Gon and Derek Lewis and Curtis Blades and those kinds of things. He's tasted the best of the wrestling, big power punchers, brawlers, more technical fighters. Tom Aspinall hasn't seen that. Now, Volkov can't borrow everything from Gon or Lewis or, or anyone else. He's his own man. But in terms of what he has seen out there, Tom Aspinall is going to have to be really relying on, I think, a lot of his athletic gifts, a lot of his timing, I think is going to be really crucial here. And he's really going to have to have a very, you know, he needs to have a good game plan here. Uh, Volkov is the kind of guy, BC, I think you might agree with this. Obviously, fighters have to adapt. Things happen in fights. You could get, you know, somewhat injured. You got to work around that. You know, strange things happen. But Volkov is the kind of guy you should have a very good game plan for. Having to make adjustments to what he's doing, if you're having a problems with the range and you had really you know, worked on the jab and the jab was going to be everything, that could be a bit of a problem, right? So you really got to make sure that whatever your starting proposition is, it's a thing that can lead to more. Of course, that's true in all cases, but I feel like given the veteran experience and given some of the sort of the trickier nature of how Volkov can fight at range, that's going to be especially important here. Yeah, look, there. Th this is interesting. I I'm still a little bit surprised that Aspinall is the betting favorite, and it's not that it's that I'm doubting his ability. Look, I, I said it. <clears throat> of any young heavyweight in a while, he seems to have that that plus side to him, that next level sort of understanding of how to set up his shots, you know, plus striking. He's young, he's hungry, he's aggressive, he's 28. 
But the experience factor is a difference. And also, Luke, let's be fair. This is um, a close-up. And a close-up not only means fighting, yeah, with the crowd behind you for sure in your home city, but more expectations in that forever daunting five-round first-time hurdle to clear. And again, look, I mean, even Stipe Miocic had to learn the hard lesson the first match against Junior Dos Santos and take a close loss, probably mostly because of fading a bit and not having that five-round cardio. You don't know if you have it until you need to have it. So as we look at Tom Aspinall, who's 4-0 in the UFC since his 2020 debut, and those recent stoppages of Sergey Spivak and the submission over Andre Arlovsky, eye-opening. He's coming on. But Luke, if you look over his career, yeah, he hasn't lost since 2016. He's 11-2. He hasn't gone past the second round ever, not even on the regional level. Uh, Volkov is not only battle-tested against the elite names, yes, has he lost to the very elite, sure, but he seems like we've been talking about to repair his holds slowly but surely at age 33. He seems ready to find out what he can be. How much do you think potentially that five-round distance could play a factor in here? Because you don't know, Luke. You don't know if you can swim until they push you in. No doubt about it. And if he's done good body work early, you know, because he does have on occasion, it depends, you know, because he could get taken down. But sometimes he, Volkov has been known to have a decent front kick at times when he wants one. But just listen to this. These are all, these are all of his UFC fights and how long they went, or at least in what round they concluded, or, you know, if it's a five round, obviously after the fact. Three, 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 four, three, three, five, two, two, five, three. I mean, the guy has done nothing but go the distance. There is no doubt in my mind that I'm going to say the fight favors him more because it, that, that would change things. But to the extent that the fight goes longer, that should at least theoretically be a boon to a guy like Volkov, who has been in deep waters, hurt at times, had to look at work through things, been taken down, you, you name it. He has seen it all in terms of the looks, and he has seen it all in terms of the place and time in which it has happened in a fight, you would have to think if you're Volkov investing in dragging him out there late has got to be a key part of that game plan, especially because also BC Aspinall can be quick early. He can be explosive. He's got good athleticism. You want to take that down a notch, investing in body work or potentially leg work, something like that. And then waiting out slowly third round, fourth round, really begin to dial up. That seems like it might be absolutely what he's looking for. Luke, does Aspinall come in here looking to expose a hole in Volkov's game, or does he come in here looking to do exactly what he does best and see if he can one-up a guy who, if you beat him, you don't manhandle him? You know, I mean, you know, he got Hail Mary knocked out. He's gotten outworked by Blades in a closest fight by the end of it. Yeah, Volkov's lost in the past, but, dude, he's as solid right now as anyone in this division, meaning whatever holes he has and he's not perfect, they don't seem to be gaping wounds. If you're Aspinall, how do you win this? I think you got to, certainly any kind of game plan has to be tailored to an opponent, right? So you have to think about that. So obviously I think if he does go to the front kick, you really would be very important, I think, for Aspinall to get on top, at a bare minimum to mix it up, get some free shots in on the ground to the extent that that is possible. But really, I'm going to say he needs to play the in-and-out game, and he needs to play the angled game. Um, Tom Aspinall, his numbers in this regard, BC, are like shockingly high. First of all, strikes absorbed per minute, just 2.37. That's not super low, but that's pretty low, actually. That's, anything below 3, 2.5 is pretty low. How about this? Strikes landed per minute, 7.19. I mean, this dude can dump offense when he needs to. Now, some of that has been buoyed by 
the ends of certain fights when he's really poured it on. But the point I'm trying to make is this guy can explode into range. He can land good combinations. He can get out at angles. I want to see, you mentioned he had been sparring with Tyson Fury. I want to see him work something like that. Something akin, akin to what we saw between Miranda Maverick and Sabina Mazo, where she was able to get inside with some kind of blitz, confused by going high, then going low. So playing the levels and then working the angles to get outside. Because if you just... I mean, this stands. This 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 seems pretty obvious, right? But it's worth saying it loud. If you kind of stand in front of him, unless you're unless you're you're Denise Ugas, dude, it's going to be very hard to get out of the way of that. He's going to pick you apart. You got to get into the range when it's good for you, and you got to get out, and you got to cut angles to the left and to the right. For a guy who has shown the athletic ability to do that, and I think some of the technical ability, this is going to be one where he has to raise his level, I think, a little bit as well. That is a doable thing. Of course, easier said than done because Volkov, hello. He lands 4.86 strikes per minute. That's also, that's not as high as Aspinall, but again, given the quality of opposition, that is very high, and he only absorbs 2.95. So we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that, yes, you're right, like, for example, against Derek Lewis at the end of that fight, you know, things kind of fell off and, and he got finished. But in general, he doesn't take a ton of abuse. That's not a thing he has been known for typically, at least in more recent fights. Even Cyril Ghosn went the distance with him and only had, in total, 20 more significant strikes than him over the course of five rounds. That's not a huge differential. So Aspinall is going to need to get in, get out, and BC, when he gets in, he's going to need to make it count. Putting punches together in combination, angle work, distance management. That's yeah, going to be the key to this fight. There's going to have to be a brilliant execution here from Aspinall, which is potentially in play. He's shown that potential. UFC, last thing real quickly, BC, UFC is asking a lot from him in this one. This is that's, a big that's what ask I'm saying. for him. That's what I'm saying, and as I wonder why the the odds makers are so high, I'm like, you know, he's going home, and that's going to be a, a potential boon for him. He certainly looks like there's a lot more that he ha hasn't shown yet because he hasn't had to yet. This is the fight to do that again. It's just you know when I look at the Volkov loss to Blades, for example, you know, Luke, he's on his back getting almost ragdolled for two rounds, but then you got Volkov getting up and getting up consistently and showing a deeper gas tank than Blades, who's known for that ability over the course of that five-round fight. So again, if he's going to beat Volkov, I don't think it's going to be by finding a vulnerable spot and exposing it. He's going to have to outwork him. That's what Cyril Gaon did. Now, Cyril Gaon's a different type of striker, of course, than Aspinall and has different options and plus abilities with the footwork and the setup. But I have to see a top-end boxing performance out of Aspinall. Yes, I have to see the threat of takedowns, of course. But Luke, we've got to see a poise. We've got to see, you know, certain intangibles that we just haven't had to yet. And that's a big intrigue about why this fight's so good. And, you know, if you're Volkov, I guess I'll ask you, Luke, if you're Volkov, with those things maybe going against you, you're on the road, all that stuff, but whatever, he's a pro, he's been there. How does he use Aspinall's inexperience against him? Um... Well, it's going to be, first of all, that crowd's going to be interesting because obviously they were going to cheer for Aspinall and boo Volkov no matter what. But the fact that Volkov's from Russia and we've been hearing crowds boo Russian fighters, that could get really dicey. We'll see how things go. In terms of how, what he can do for, for um, Aspinall, uh, I think crowd him. I think crowd him. You go, you're going to want to do something where you need to force him to go and then you want to counter-strike a little bit. Certainly, if you can pump the jab, then you wouldn't necessarily need to do that. But what I'm, what I'm imagining is, BC, if Aspinall has room to set up and move and time and angle out, you know, a very, a very, very good fighter who's really good at angles, really good at getting under hooks, really good at pivoting out, 
there's not much you can do. We're going to see if Aspinall's that guy. But if I'm if I'm Team Volkov, you just have to understand if this guy's got a lot of room behind and to the sides of him, that is going to be a, a plus for him. We need to narrow his choices about what offensive and defensive opportunities are available. We need to put something in his face, linear attacks up the middle while controlling for that. Uh, and I think that is going to be part of it, baiting counters, baiting mistakes out of him from pressure, right? Fainting, faking, getting reactions, cornering his options. And then when you corner his options, that's going to make a guy like that, in theory, in theory, go to second and third order um, uh, offense because the first part of it has been taken away. When that happens, that's when the mistakes begin to get built up. There might be specific things that the coaches can identify and certain vulnerabilities around strikes or whatever. But I think as a general purpose, BC, if you see Tom Aspinall with a ton of room to do what he wants to do, that is in general, in general, going to be very bad for Volkov. Conversely, if he's very much constrained and he's up tall against that the back of the fence, right? If he's up along that fence line, that could be a problem for him as well. So see where the real estate is being controlled in this fight. That will tell you a lot. Yeah, you don't want to be in the clinch with a kickboxer like this, Luke. He's got educated knees. He's got a lot going for him. All right, Luke, I take into account a lot of things when it comes to making the pick. To, to What are you feeling? How Where's it going? Um, I take in the crowd. I take in all them UK crazy, hungry fans who also love our show, but, you know, take the time to DM me and say, BC, you idiot. Our boy's coming on. How do you not see this? The odds makers see this. Would Aspinall be a great addition to the top five title contending group of heavyweights? Of course, he's young, he's aggressive, he's skilled. He potentially could be a big uh, seller in the UK. Imagine, Luke, we see Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, Carl Frotch. I mean, they do these stadium boxing matches. Like, dude, when Carl Frotch put 80K in Wembley to fight George Groves, like, George Groves was a respected fighter, but that's no, like, superstar on this side of the pond. They put 80 fucking K in that stadium, okay? <laughs> no. When AJ comes out, it's like a, it's like the Rolling Stones hit. It's like, yeah, it's like Jesus came back to life and is about to raise Lazarus. It's insane. You have to believe that, you know, if COVID numbers can go in the right direction, that Dana's watching that, of course. And Dana has to respect game of what, you know, Eddie Hearn is doing, what Frank Warren does, who he's friends with on the highest level. You know, this is the type of guy that, you know, you could start. I'm not saying that Tom Aspinall has this like McGregor type potential, but you need players in this scene who are title contenders and good in the UK to then bring over your champion and do it. I wonder if we are going to get closer to the UFC to start to do that, if they can continue to make guys like Aspinall, like Patty Pimblett, if he wins this weekend. So that's certainly something to watch. But it doesn't matter if he doesn't win here, Luke. And when I add it all up in my head, the experience and the durability of Volkov, his jab, his hard leg strikes, his body kicks, I think we're going to see a lot that we like from Aspinall, but I think this is still the lesson that he has to learn on the path to the top. Give me Volkov hmm. by late round stoppage in the championship rounds, Luke. I can't get off of that until I see it. Tom Aspinall, if you can prove me wrong, do it. Your fans will be in my DM box for sure. But Luke, take the underdog here. You know what? I, I, I don't hate that pick. I really don't, BC. I think that there's a lot of people who are so high on Tom Aspinall, and with good reason. People thinking Tom Aspinall has a very high ceiling are totally in the right. I, I, I don't see how you couldn't think otherwise, or you could think otherwise, excuse me. 
But I, I'm with you. Like people are sleeping on Volkov a little bit, man. They, they, they. You know, because he has the loss to Gone, and you know, he got finished by Lewis at the late sort of moment there. But he gives other heavyweights a really tough time. Still, I am pretty high on Tom Aspinall. I from, I usually go with the pick you make, which is until I've seen someone do it, I'm going to side with the person who has a more impactful, um, you know, filled out resume. I, I have a clearer sense of what Volkov can or can't do then I have a clear sense of what Aspinall can and can't do I'm usually that guy and I respect your pick I, I think you're right that there are a lot of people who are ready to anoint Tom and if you look at his resume has he done it on the resume yet no it's not it's not there a win like Volkov doesn't exist this is him having to do something he's never been tasked with doing Absolutely. that being said from what I've seen on tape I don't know how he'll perform in the third fourth and fifth round I am taking a leap of faith but what I have seen on tape tells me that this kid is actually, I think, very, very special. And I think he probably will find a way to win here. But I grant that Volkov is no one's pushover. They are at the UFC is is saying, okay, Tom, if you want to be something special, that's, that campaign starts at UFC London against Volkov. Now's the time. I'm going to side with the Brit. I think he'll get it done. But I'm expecting a very competitive affair. And let's not forget, they just put Ty Tuivasa in the same position, and your boy BC went on CBS Sports HQ and Morning Combat and whoever would have me and said, look, I love me some Tuivasa. I do not find a path to victory against Derek Lewis. That path to victory, Luke, kicked me right in the dick, okay? I mean, they said, yes, well, Here. at least you didn't pick Austin Vanderford, and then, you know, the whole thing imploded in right. five seconds, so, so there you go. So, you know, this is the type of fights that are set up for a guy to make the leap. Let's see if he can do it. I like this fight. The closer we get, I love it even more. Luke, do you know when this starts? I didn't look that up. It's in the UK. Is this a normal evening card? Is this an afternoon delight? What do we got? I here? believe the main card for this one, I'll double check, but I believe I double I looked at this before. I believe the main card will start at 4 p.m. 4 p.m. East Coast time. I'll double check that right now. Okay. Okay. Uh that main card will start. That's correct. At 4 p.m. and your prelims kick off at 1:30 p.m. in the East. Absolutely. Uh, Luke, this co-main event is uh, it's fantastic, and we didn't really talk about it enough on Wednesday, and I don't even know if it's getting the love it deserves. Does anyone have a more quiet eight-fight win streak in the UFC, including every performance he's had in the octagon than Arnold Allen? He's coming on, Luke. We've talked about some of the guys he's beat to get here, and it's impressive. We got Dan Hooker at 145, who stepped onto the scales with those, like, what what type of sunglasses did you see those, Luke? He put on like I didn't um, see those. No, what like he had Mad Max sunglasses or some shit. I mean, oh, he is cool. yoked at forty five and ready. Yeah. And when you look at the odds, the the betting oddsmen are still showing Dan Hooker a ton of respect here. Arnold Allen minus one fifteen by DraftKings. Daniel Hooker, Dan Hooker, if you if you will, minus one oh five. So Luke, uh, no one's getting plus money here. We're getting a plus because we're going to see this theater break out. Let's talk about what Dan Hooker needs to do. This isn't last minute against Islam doubling down, trying to trying to make magic happen. He's going back to the drawing board, but it doesn't get any easier, and he's got a chance, really, to rebound right back to where he needs to be with a big win, but Arnold Allen is nobody's pushover. How does Dan Hooker do this, Luke? Dan Hooker has got to keep this on the feet. Uh, he's got to. So why would Dan Hooker go to 145? A lot of reasons, right? You could get a fresh new opponent. Look, I mean, look at Dan Hooker. He switched... Weight classes coming off of a loss in his last fight, right? He beat Hack Press and he has a loss that memory serves. Yes, to Makachev. So you're going down to 145 and already they put you in a very relevant fight. Co-main event, first time back in what, three years in London? I mean, this is a big card. So part of it is opportunism, okay? That's one. 
But the other part, BC, is it's we need to say it out loud. Arnold Allen has a 70-inch reach, 7-0. Dan Hooker, 75, so a 5-inch reach advantage. We already know he's kind of lanky, and he uses that well. How about height? Arnold Allen, 5'8", not very tall. Dan Hooker, 6 feet tall. So already you can see some of these physical dimensions bring themselves into play. We talked about it before. Dan Hooker is one of the best guys in the UFC when there's a height differential in his favor. He uses those step-through knees to light opponents on fire. Be on the lookout for this. But if I'm Arnold Allen, I would really consider the takedown here. And the reason why is for some of the dimension issues I've talked about. We know Dan Hooker. What's Dan Hooker's best asset aside from being tough, like from a skill set standpoint? Striking, I would argue. I think his striking is his best his, his best kind of work. And everyone's got a different sort of way of doing it. His way of doing it is pretty interesting. Arnold Allen is not necessarily a high-volume guy. He only lands 2.96 strikes per minute. That's pretty – that's not super low, but it's kind of low, Right. And Dan Hooker, one of his problems is he takes a lot of abuse, 4.61. So what I'm saying is on the feet, you've already got these physical dimensions that favor Dan Hooker. And on top of it, you're going to have a pace that I think is going to much more favor Dan Hooker, relatively speaking, because it is going to be a little bit low, a little bit more. He's not going to be uh, overwhelmed with volume or being backed up with huge power, right? We'll see how his chin holds up, but that probably stands to reason that way. Arnold Allen has, in all of his UFC wins, I think just two by submission and all the rest are decision. Double-check me on that, but I believe that's right. So here's what I'm saying, BC. If I'm Arnold Allen, I'm taking this one to the ground if I can, or at a bare minimum, I'm going to really mix in those takedown threats somehow, pushing Dan Hooker up against the fence. I know he's strong in the clinch, but really from a wrestling standpoint, make Dan Hooker wrestle at least a little bit. And from there, some of your other opportunities might open up. But I think if they're just sort of standing at range, and especially if Dan Hooker has, again, room behind him, that's a very competitive fight, and you might even lean towards Hooker in that case. It's interesting here, man. I, I like that you point out those size and reach differences. This is Dan Hooker's 45, not debut, but right, back at it here. But the first time since losing three of four at lightweight, all to the very elites, obviously, though, and shit, what, Chandler, Poirier, good God, who was the, the third one there? Oh, yeah, Islam. But, Luke, he did wrestle well against Hasperat, and it felt at the moment like Dan Hooker saying, okay, I, I'm going to keep fighting and be an opportunist because I'm 32 years old and the window is here. This is, you know, this is my time to show how great I can be. I thought he wrestled great against, against Hasperas to show you, you know, I can go down this lane if I need to, but we don't know where his gas tank's going to be at here at 45. And I think that's going to be a real interesting part of it. He has been here before, so it's not completely foreign, but the betting odds makers are giving him a, a great deal of respect. And again, it's part of me going, okay, why? Let's look at Allen. Luke is as solid as Allen has been. 8-0 in the UFC. Outside of that late third-round submission win over Mads Brunel, every single fight has gone the distance for him, though. Does he have the potential, Arnold Allen, to be solid yet unspectacular? And if Dan Hooker can get back into his potential spectacular groove again and control the terms of the striking and, to your point, keep his back off you know, for long distances... Is the fact that Arnold Allen has been steady but never yet kicking your door in the reason why these odds are so close? Yeah, I think also people just don't know what to make. I mean, if you go back and you look at Arnold Allen's record, I was talking about this yesterday. Dude, he's got a really sort of strange competitive schedule. Um, Arnold Allen, listen to this. He fought once in 2015, once in 2016, once in 2017, once in 2018, twice in 2019, once in 2020, once in 20, this guy is Gary Russell Jr., bro, right? That's who he is. 
He takes the mandatory one time a year, and he does really well. He's undefeated in the in the, in the UFC since uh, June of 2015. But it's not it's not super common. So I think I think part of the reason is we've seen Dan Hooker at his best and his worst, and we've seen Arnold Allen at his very goodest, if that's not a word, which it's not, but like somewhere along that line. But a little bit more steady. A little, we, we've not seen his highest highs, and we've not seen his lowest lows, and so. Between the lack of activity and not, I mean, you know a lot about Arnold Allen, but at the same time, you're not quite sure what you're going to get this time because it's been a year since you've seen him. With Dan Hooker, you have a clearer sense of things, but then the advantages from going back down to 145 in terms of power, maybe not so much speed, obviously, but in terms of the dimensions of his physical uh, frame and everything else, I think that's why it's pretty close. Most people have Arnold Allen as a slight favorite. Other places have it as a a near pick BC, I mostly agree with that. I'm not really sure what to make of this one. Yeah. I don't, you know, I gave you my sort of sense about how they're probably going to match up, but you know, I dude, what's Arnold Allen going to show since the Sadiq Youssef fight? Let's fucking see. I guess we're going to yeah, find I out. Mean- Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, it's, look, it's very good matchmaking. It's compelling. I really don't know which way to lean. We haven't seen Hooker lose at this weight class since Hick Diaz took him in 2016. Luke, that's been a mm. that's been a minute, as the the much younger and in shape and, and hipper people like to say. Uh, I'm not even going to give you a pick, Luke. I don't know. I don't know what the hell this thing's going to look like. But let me ask you this question at least: If Dan Hooker wins and shows us that 45 going back to it now, and let's not forget, look, a lot of people seem to have hit a certain roadblock in making weight within the last five or six, seven years. And, you know, some of them, RDA, Ioana, we were like, okay, they're never going to be able to make that weight again. Now that they're using the the, P, the Performance Center or Institute, now that they're doing it a much smarter scientific way, we seem to be in a, I, I, I hesitate to use the word golden era of weight cutting because I still think weight cutting in this modern era is incredibly dangerous and and one day we'll be behind us after a, a bad situation. But at the very least, people are figuring out how to do it professionally right now with help. So if Hooker wins here, Luke, is he like an instant title contender at 145? How do you sort of gauge what his future could look like? Well, I don't know how good Arnold Allen will look, but I'm pretty sure that if he has even a decent performance, he won't look bad, right? Like, in other words, what have we said before? We've seen his very good We've not seen him what his really best is, and we've not seen him look. Um, you know, Mads Brunel got him down six times, and then Mads Brunel lost a decision to him. Or actually, Mads Brunel got finished, excuse me, by him. So think about that. Mads Brunel took him down six times and still got finished by him. I mean, that's pretty it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I'll say this. If, you know, you could say, well, what does beating Arnold Allen get you? Well, first of all, in the UFC, no one's done it yet, number one. Number two, to beat a guy who's as careful as Arnold Allen 
that's hard to do, right? Arnold Allen hasn't shown us all of his firepower, but he has shown us he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. So if Dan Hooker can get a win over a guy like that by making him force mistakes or making him into somebody he otherwise would not be, yeah, you might be, dude. You might be. Like, that's a really, really difficult thing to do. I would actually have a great amount. Of, it'd be one thing if he goes in there and just smokes him off one right hand and whatever. But to go in there and systemically make a guy who is very careful to make him fumble, that that's really, that's not easy to do. And I think if, if Hooker can show that, yeah, he might be, dude. He honestly might be. And by the way, Volkanovski seeing the top of that that one could get awkward. And and by the way, if Hooker wins this and now he's in that title picture, and if Zabit's really coming back, dude, Featherweight's still fun as heck. We dude, talk a lot no, about phantom weight, a lot about you make fun of you. You make fun of me for my Anthony Smith love affair. No one loves Zabit <laughs> more than you yeah, ever in yeah. human history. I cannot imagine another person who thinks remember more highly the, of a guy we haven't seen in a long time. Remember on the Titanic when the captain. He said, you know, he, th this, this is how it has to end. He's got to go down with the ship, Luke, okay? I don't often go down. Like, All right, all right. Uh, Luke, um, yeah, that's all I got. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, there it is. Let's keep it rolling on this. Wow, always there for you. It is. Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, Luke, uh, Patty Pimblett made a lot of news this week, and we talked on Wednesday before we had the full information. Uh, Patty Pimblett's going to be back his second UFC fight. He's going to take on... Um, that can't be the man's name. What the hell is this guy's name? Kazula Vargas. It is, Luke. Um, but he got into a dust-up with I the I called him Cazuela, which is the sort of the name of a soup in Cartagena, so I apologize yeah, for that. Borderline racist of you. Uh, Luke, I didn't mean to. I, I we didn't up. have all the information when we played the video of this brawl with Taporia, who's also on this card, but you know, a lot of our listeners said, hey, BC and LT, dude, get the score right. Did you see the now-deleted tweet that Patty had put out? You know, I did. Ripping yeah. Georgians and saying Russia's should you know invade them and take them over. Look, no, we know is, people uh, no, like, like something about how Georgians aren't, in his words, very smart. No wonder the Russians terrorize them, which exactly. is you know um, uh, horrific. We already say, but, okay. know. I mean, it was like, look, it's different now, right? You might show up with a neck tattoo one of these days, and we're just going to go look. That's the culture. But when I was growing up, Luke, if you had a tat on your neck or anywhere below your elbow. Dude, that meant you were either in jail before or you're about it, about it at any point, okay? There's certain things you pick up on. You smell yeah. it, now, okay? Now now it just means you're a sous chef. Exactly. When the guys from these certain countries hear trash talk, they don't take it as selling a fight. So we already yeah. know that. But should we be looking down on Patty for these comments? And it's hard, Luke, because I'm always the guy who says, for the most part, let combat sports be the shit show it is. We're fighting at the end of the day, like Dana always likes to say, right? It's a fight. Say bad stuff about each other. But, Luke, when Connor, I thought, crossed the line with Habib and went after the wife, went after the religion, you saw what could happen at 229, and it's that's not good for the fans, right? I mean, the, the shit's basically flowing into the crowd. And also, Luke, you know, I, we got on Billy Joe Saunders when he put out that joking video about how to hit a woman. There are lines in this game, Luke. Does this cross your line at all? Dude, I don't even know what the line is anymore. You know, I mean, we, you know, uh, I don't even know what to say. I, don't, I, I, I was talking to this about with a friend recently. Like, I don't even know what the right answer is anymore. Obviously, you know, making fun of the 2008 uh, Georgian suffering at the hands of uh, the Russian military, you know, uh, is beyond ignorant and in any way defensible uh 
I, you know, there's no defense of the comment by itself. Certainly, it's it's a it's a horrible thing to say. But dude, I have sort of like I don't even know what the right answer is anymore. Like, can you really tell me that like the the broader community genuinely cares that fighters say unspeakably horrible things to each other? I would tell you, I've been in this game for now, you know, 14 or 15 years. I, I would say that the evidence pretty strongly indicates that nobody seems to ever, yeah, the fighters care. And a couple of people who are associated with the fighters or, you know, the, on the occasion thing where you get the McGregor uh, situation where you're really worried about ratcheting up tensions, you can get kind of dangerous. But I would say that the overwhelming evidence, and it, this puts me in a despondent mind state, they just don't care about any of these things. So, like, can we say that the that the things he said were horrific and ignorant? Sure. I mean, that's a, a, a very true. Um, what are we supposed to do about it? I I don't know anymore. I genuinely don't know anymore. I don't know. I I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. There. Yeah. Okay. So the original tweet was, uh, "Lad, how stupid are those Georgians, man? No wonder the Russians terrorized their lives." End quote. Yeah. And then Taporia had quote tweeted and said, you think that's funny? And that attack by Russia against us, many innocent people lost their lives, including children. The one who supports terrorism and racism is one of them. This tweet will haunt you for life. Taporia told Ariel he was going to kill Patty next time he sees him. So uh, you got that hanging over your head, Luke. But if you're Patty Pimblett, as we talked about on Wednesday, whether you are McGregor light or not, you seem to be welcoming the smoke in the same regard and not backing down. Does that have any impact on this fight against Kazula Vargas? The same fight, by the way, in which even, even Israel Adesanya went public and said, damn, they're giving Patty a soft touch here uh, come Saturday He said night. that? Yeah. He said that? That's funny. I didn't see that. Yes, they are. I don't, I don't, I don't think... Listen, here's the thing. UFC is clearly soft-pedaling this, okay? I don't think that's the wrong thing to do. Dana White had a comment. I saw it on MMA Junkie being like, listen, we get that everybody loves this guy, you know, and that's an amazing thing. But if you're going to be a star in this organization, you got to win fights. Now, you might be saying, well, okay, it's easy to win fights if they're giving you the fights you should win. All right, let's be honest about it. Are the UFC matchmakers doing Patty a solid at this juncture of his career? Yes, they are. I do think they are. However, what I would submit to you is I think that's the correct way to do it. The popularity that surrounds Patty is a good thing for Patty, for the UFC, for, for all the, the parties involved, including his opponents, in terms of the level of visibility that they will get, if that's a thing that they care about. However, it has outpaced what I think the level of ability that he has shown. Now, let me be clear. I think he has shown a high level of ability, but he has still some green parts of his game, particularly as it relates to striking defense. And uh, there could be some other ones as well, but that, that's sort of the one that stands out. Why would you rush him into fights that are significantly more competitive when, A, if he wins this one, he has to get to that point anyway, and B, if he doesn't, then this is all for naught. Understand, I made the same argument when the UFC put Conor McGregor up against Dennis Seaver. When they announced that fight in Boston, people were like, Dennis Seaver? Really? They're giving this guy no wrestlers? Because they were like, why aren't they giving him Edgar? Why aren't they giving him Mendez? And the argument was, sure, he could be fighting those guys, but here's the thing. If he can, if he can really massage his popularity win these contests, he's going to elevate himself to a point where you can no longer hide from those fights. And that's exactly what happened. He ended up fighting Mendez and he won. We know the story. But then he eventually lost some along the way. You will eventually graduate to a point where you're fighting other names where hiding like that inside the division is not really possible. 
why would you rush a kid's development because his popularity is already high when you can soft pedal a little bit, you can maximize his development, which means you have a much better chance of winning the bigger and better and more important fights when the time comes around. The UFC, for all the criticism they faced about this, I think that the critics are wrong. This is exactly the way they should be doing it, and I think it's the best chance they have of getting the most out of the Patty Pimblett experience. Now, he has to win, but that's the way to do it. Luke, when they gave John Jones his first main event, they gave him 41-year-old the janitor, Vladimir Machyshenko, who I'm not going to act like was immobile at that point, but that was a step back matchmaking-wise to give somebody a showcase, right? Right. But but what did John Jones do with him? I mean, that's the point. The floor he ran that through him like a freight like, train. Uh, yeah. Um, so, Luke, when we, look, we had Steven Espinosa on. When we talk Showtime boxing, we talk Conor McGregor, Dana White, we talk Jake Paul, a lot of, a lot of stuff. And we we understand that, like, look, we're going to have our boss on, so we're not going to piss him off, but we're going to ask him journalist questions, and we did that. One of the comments he made, Luke, some people were like, oh, you guys didn't, you know, didn't hit him hard on when he said, look, the ma- the reputation of UFC matchmaking used to be that the best always fight the best, but that's not long. That's no longer the case. And I think when you hear that at face value, you go, oh, come on, sour grapes, what are you talking about? But he made a specific point to say, look at McGregor. And in this case, look at Pimblet. Would you say what Steven said is true if put under the right frame? Um, I do think that there is an overstating of the best not fighting the best in boxing. Now, there is certainly a lot of truth to it as well. Let's be very clear. But sometimes people overstate it. I remember, for example, and we were totally wrong about it too. We should sort of say that. You know, when Cambosis was fighting uh, Lopez. Oh, this is, a, you know, some mandatory bullshit, blah, 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 blah. Same thing with uh, with Catterall, right? When he faced uh, when he faced uh, Josh Taylor. So, oh, this is some bullshit, blah, 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 blah. You know, listen, you, it, it's just, there's a system in boxing, which it is true. It doesn't facilitate the best fighting the best as often as you would like. But there's also a system in place in boxing that gets a little bit more of that than the average dismissible insult accurately reflects. But, dude, like the UFC moving to – I don't understand why people are so upset about this or, or thinking it's a problem. The UFC borrowing some of what boxing does to give guys who need more development but who are already popular a little bit of a, a easier runway to take off. What on earth is the problem with that? I, I honestly don't understand what people are complaining about because understand the, 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 the converse. Dude, I lived through pride taking Olympic gold medalists and just chucking them into these insanely difficult fights and completely fucking up their development. That's a real thing that will happen. Dude, if you really believe in the the ultimate potential of Patty Pimblett, you should be thanking the UFC for saying, let's get this guy some time to adapt to the elite level so then he can be the best he can be. Why would you fuck with that? It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, plus so, they learn so, lessons uh, on taking... Sage Northcutt, Paige Van Zandt, just saying, this is what we do. We did it to Brock Lesnar. We're just going to throw you at, you know, a high ranking when you do have to realize this is a business. There's a reason why a McGregor can get a title shot when he doesn't deserve well, let's it. Let's be, let me, let me say one thing. We just, we just talked about Alex Pereira last weekend, right? So, and, and I saw our colleague Brent Brookhouse was like, fuck it, put him to the front of the line. He ended up calling out Cannoneer, not quite Adesanya. But dude, that's a different scenario. 
That guy's 34 years old. He doesn't have a lot of time left to maximize his athletic potential. He's in a different sport than what is his main sport to begin with. And in that other sport, he beat the fuck out of just about everybody. So what are you waiting on? It's like you don't have time to mess with this anyway. You got to strike while the iron is hot. Patty Pimblett is in a completely different division or different uh, uh, situation. He's seven years younger than that. Why would you borrow the Alex Pereira arguments for a guy in his second UFC fight who's yeah. 27 years old. It makes zero sense to me. Well, uh, Patty's opponent, Kazula Vargas, 36 years old from Mexico, Luke. And uh, he's lost two of his three UFC appearances, although he just beat Rong Zhu, the uh, what, the super young uh, guy who showed his butt on Have You Seen This Shit? So 12-4 uh, <laughs> and four overall, has fought in combate, a couple other places. Uh, we'll see what happens, Luke. Does Patty pass the test here and get the... The, the crowd going nuts and him sitting atop the cage and it's, it's just like, yeah. I'll say this though. If he loses to this guy, this is, that would be horrible. That would be, That'd be really, bad. really, That'd be really bad. bad. That'd be really bad. Luke, his potential. That's the, that's counter- the one downside to these fights. That's the one downside. You have to win them. You absolutely, you can't like look good in a losing effort. Fuck that. You have to win this one. His potential future counterpart, Ilya Taporia will face Jai Herbert in a lightweight bout to kick off this main card on ESPN+. Fight. Plus. We talked about how good that fight is, Luke. You're going to put more gas in the Topuria fuel tank here? This this could be a wild one. Uh, yeah, this could be a wild one. He's up at 155 for this one, taking on Jai Herbert, a sort of a guy we know, he, he, uh, you know, as a, I would say, a very good striker, lean, quick, um, a very, di- I'll say this, a completely different test than Ryan Hall, right? To go from Ryan Hall, who is this sort of one type of, very significant threat to Jai Herbert, who has a completely different set of significant threats. We're going to get, we're going to learn a lot about Ilya Taporia here. And I got a feeling that as good as Herbert is, and I have great respect for him, Taporia, and, and everyone's different. You're saying, oh, well, Patty's only 27, blah, blah, blah. Right. Taporia looks to me, to me, we'll see, could lose here, you know, whatever. He looks to me, BC, to be a little bit further along in his development. Everyone develops at different levels, at different stages, at different speeds, at different times in their career. So for Taporia, this makes sense to me. I like this one. I think he should win. I think he probably will win. And I got to say, you know, Patty Pimblett's right to get all of these like irons in the fire with all these people that want him. All it does is raise the level of ability and uh, and the stakes. Indeed. Picking a fight with Taporia. <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Careful what well, you wish uh, for. Well, Vegas likes both to survive in advance and maybe fight each other. DraftKings has Patty Pimblett as a minus 600 favorite, plus 35 for Vargas and also... Uh, has Tapuria minus 550, Jai Herbert plus 400. Very interesting. Uh, Luke, let's speed through a few of these. Uh, Gunnar Nelson back. Finally, Luke, he is going to be a minus 550 favorite against Takashi Sato. Is there still time for Nelson to to make some noise? I mean, look, he had a he had a few minutes in this game, right? You know, then he was Connor's Icelandic training partner, and then he's been hit or miss in and out. So uh, he's back. He is back. Um, you know, he can strike on the feet. We know uh, he's got that sort of like karate style where he's kind of in and out, in and out, and he can do his thing. But BC, I mean, just listen to this. This is why I would really hope he takes this fight to the ground for his own sake. Strikes absorb per minute for Gunnar Nelson, 3.33. So a little on the high side, okay? Strikes landed per minute, 1.71. So not only is that extremely low, he's got a negative differential of almost two integers that's that's high that's re- that's a very high uh, uh differentiation there so uh, 
Takashi Sato is hittable. He too has a negative differential, 3.16 to 4.18 in terms of strikes landed versus absorbed. But on the ground, dude, Takashi Sato, uh, I, I, I just don't think has got the same level of ability that Gunnar Nelson does. I would really like to see Gunnar Nelson go back to the thing that made him the money that it did and and in the jiu-jitsu. So we'll see. We'll see. He should win this yeah, one, though. Gunnar Nelson hasn't fought since 2019. He lost a split decision to Leon Edwards, and then he lost a unanimous decision to Gilbert Burns. So uh, he's back here. He tends to only lose to the to the, to the the upper course, so we'll see what happens here, Luke. Uh, I cannot believe they are burying Paul Craig and Nikita Krylov on this prelim card. Luke, you, let's give Yossi credit. They're back in London in... in for a fight night card, they have loaded up some some well matched matchups. This is another one. Paul Craig is four zero and one in his last five. He could be coming on here, Luke. Um, X's and O's wise, what does this look like here against Krelov? Again, Paul Craig probably will stand with him on the feet to some degree, and he's got a little bit of trickery there. But dude, he's going to have to pull guard, which is what he always does. And he might get torched for it, or he might just end up with a great submission. Nikita Krelov came into the UFC. Um, the story was, if you guys have never seen his photo on the Fight Finder, my, my understanding is he submitted that directly to Sherdog to have as his Fight Finder photo. That was back when their database was like the database in MMA. Now Topology and Wikipedia and some other places have caught up. But um, so that was, with, and he wasn't even in the UFC and he was wearing UFC gloves and he was calling himself Al Capone. It was like, and then when he first came to the UFC, he was not really UFC ready. He got bounced. Now he's back and he's much better, much better. Just a lot cleaner mechanics, better decision-making, much more well-rounded. Has physically filled out to a strong degree as well. Paul Craig has his hands full here. But um, I would imagine that this is a fight that Krilov should win. But BC, how many times has Paul Craig been in fights that he was should have lost given the strategy that he employed, and he still found a way to pull it out? So uh, I'll favor Krilov here, but Paul Craig is the wrong guy to sleep on, big time. Yeah. Yeah, like a streaker wearing a trench coat. He finds a way to pull it out, Luke. And he's, like I mentioned, 4 and one But it'll be the betting underdog. Krylov has lost two or three, albeit against absolute hammers of the Ankalaya variety. But Krylov here, Luke, will be minus 195, plus 165. Paul Craig, the underdog. Uh, this this will be good. Luke, maybe the reason why this is on the prelims is uh, Molly the Meatball is going to get the... Uh, the, the at-home love here on the main card against Luana Carolina. Uh, Molly McCann, Luke, women's flyweight. she fun in games or is she a real thing? Um, We'll have to, this, mm, we'll have to see. We'll have She's to 31. see. Um, She's 31. She's yeah. 31, Luke. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, so far, I think her, her, it's been a commendable effort, but I don't know if we've gotten um a clear sense about which direction this is all going yet. This will help us potentially solidify it. I will say, BC, I got I got a couple of people who tweeted me that we had neglected to mention a couple of fights on this card that are worth mentioning. Are you talking um, about Jack the Shore? Because the people are and fired Tamar up Valeyev, Yes, Shore. Yes, that's another one. The other one is Mohamed Mokayev taking on Cody Durden. Mokayev, uh, I think, has like 20-plus wins as an amateur, undefeated as a pro. This is his UFC debut. Folks are asking what to make of him. This is his UFC debut. I mean, what's, you know, he obviously is the goods on some level, but it's so early in his development. Let's just wait and see. Luke, Jack Shore, 15-0, and 4-0 in the UFC. Yeah. He's a plus yeah, he's 100 underdog against Timor Valiev. 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 I'm going to go with Valiev at minus 120. So, 
Dude, this is a well matched card, dude. This this is a, this is a good ass. This is some good ass shit here, Luke. Okay. Yeah, and, and people. And this is the thing: boxing promoters, as you well know, would load up fights where it was a little bit more on the Pimblet uh, Vargas kind of side of things. And there is that one here on on this card. But in general, dude, these are the Brits don't necessarily, ha or, or I should say, the the folks out of the UK and 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 whatnot. They don't really have the easiest road here. These are some pretty tough fights up and down um, all the way through. So. Uh, good card. Great card, as a matter of yeah, fact. Yeah, well done, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby. Uh, by the way, Sean Shelby made an appearance, of course, in uh, Morning Combat documentary number six at the awards dinner as well. Uh, Luke, let's move on to topic number two. Um, This hit the news waves, and the, the fight itself is not the news. Rose Nami Yunus will defend her women's strawweight title in a rematch against the inaugural champion, Carla Esparza. They met in 2014 at the tough finale to crown the champion for the first time. That's the first UFC fight I ever attended and covered, Luke. Uh, wow. I love that. But the hook here is that it's being added to UFC 274. It's May 7th. The site is Phoenix, Arizona. That's going head-to-head, -head, potentially, with Canelo Alvarez. Same night, same time. And we've got Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje in the main event. Now Rose and Carla, part two in the co-main. Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson... Luke, uh, how jacked is this Cinco de Mayo weekend card now? This is this is great. This is huge. What a addition. As you indicated, the main card, we already read some of the names, Olivera Gaethje, Namayuna, excuse me, Esparza, Chandler Ferguson. They're going to do this one again, Shogun versus St. Prue, which is <laughs> crazy. That's what it's going to be. And then Cerrone versus Lausanne, and you, know, you can go down the list from there. I love this. And I love what Carla Esparza has done in this division. You know, she was never going to get an easy path back to the title after lo after losing the way she did to Joanna and then uh, a couple other uh, hiccups she's had along the way. In this particular case, obviously, Gadelia and Tatiana Suarez. But since then, Janji Roba, quality. Grasso, quality. Watterson, Rodriguez, Shaunan. These are all quality wins. Five in a row. She could no longer be denied. And it's crazy, dude. Rose Namajunas has no job except to fight the same fighters over and over and over again. We talked about it last time. When she was, uh, I think she's had what three rematches back to back to back, something like that. This is uh, a different one, obviously from a, the, earlier on, but a rematch, just the same. It's so strange that she finds herself in these positions, having to fight the same fighters over and over again. But it gives you a chance that uh, obviously you know getting choked out the first time for revenge, but also it gives Carla Sparza a chance to flex all of her new skills as well. Rose has made up more ground since they fought the first time, so she should probably be favored here. But I, I, I just, I love this contest. I love when contenders, you can't take anything from them. You cannot take anything from Carla Esparza. And again, a rematch. What's not to love? A revenge aspect as well. Title yeah. fight. It's the best. It's the best. I love it. Great story. And look, I'm just saying this card is now becoming like, oh shit, should we go to that? It's becoming that level, dude, with these three fights atop it. Where is this one again? It's going to be in Phoenix. Phoenix. That, yeah. That's Sean El Shadi territory, okay? That's Dan Marley. I got territory. an uncle in Phoenix. Dude, I had an uncle in Phoenix. He just moved out. He lived there forever, Luke. Um, we should go stay with your uncle, right? Have him on MK. Cover these fights. Okay. All right. So much for that. I guess we don't we don't talk about Bruno or Luke's family under any circumstance here. Luke, topic three. Dude, I can't believe this is a topic. It started about three to four days ago. I think Chael Sonnen's most responsible for this. Putting out in the ethosphere, the Ethernet, 
the Cosmos, that one that one Colby Covington as the number one contender at welterweight, and with a not really obvious path back to the title, given that he's lost twice to Usman, should be allowed per Chael Sonnen to automatically make a leap to the top of the middleweight division if he wanted to, to take on Israel Adesanya. Now, Luke, I was going to throw that into the wheel of death on Wednesday as, uh, okay, this is interesting. Is Chael just backing another trash talker like himself, maybe to retroactively try to justify his own title shot against John Jones, which was undeserved and really unnecessary in so many ways. But Luke, it's it's kind of blown up from there. And then we get Colby Covington visiting our friends down under on Submission Radio. And here's Colby's comments. I think I can definitely go up to 185 and fight Adesanya. But I don't know if he's going to turn around like that. He doesn't have a dance partner right now. I mean, some of the guys they're trying to line him up with, it's unoriginal. Why can Usman fight him? And try, they're trying to line him. Um, why can Usman fight him? And all the fans want that. But the guy that beat Usman, I beat Usman. I beat Usman twice. Usman sucks, dude. Everybody knew in MSG I won the last three rounds. It was an easy win for me. Easy decision. Unanimous. So why can't I fight Adesanya? He can't stop my wrestling. I'll pick him up and drop him on his fucking head. He's a cardio kickboxer. They got enough cardio kickboxers in women's classes around the U.S. Blah, blah, blah. End quote. Luke, there's a lot of Chael-level revisionist history in that quote. And since that quote hit the airwaves, you see some rumors on IG that um, Adesanya could be back International Fight Week in July in Vegas to defend against Jared Cannonier. So it's not as if he doesn't have a willing contender. But could you buy in this calendar year to Colby Covington getting this opportunity against Israel Adesanya? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why would that happen? Like, I don't even understand. Two reasons. Two reasons. Okay. One, Covington, in theory, sells fights in ways that Izzy's other opponents can't. And if you hedge that with, if he beats Cannoneer, there there isn't anyone else that's like screaming at the moment that he hasn't fought. And then two, Luke, I guess it's the style matchup hole you could talk yourself into where well, what if he could take Israel down the whole fight? You know, like like everyone tries to do. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone right. in theory says. How's the how has that worked out for the UFC? It hasn't. Division? It hasn't. But it is star versus star. Luke, admit to me, if he beats Cannonier in July, where's he going? Back up to 205. Where's he going, Luke? Yeah, I think back up to 205, probably. Um, listen, it's not that I'm immune to the idea that a guy who can wrestle and chain wrestle and provide pressure and has great cardio. Couldn't be a problem, not just for Adesanya, but for a lot of those middleweights. Yeah, of course, that is a reasonable thing to think about. But I keep saying this, like people just being like, well, Adesanya, you know, he just couldn't defend the takedown. Dog, who are these people that are just lording this over Adesanya at this point where they can win fights? They can't even fucking win rounds doing that anymore. I mean, that's how much it has uh, uh, gotten better for him. So, you know, while I am uh, uh, appreciative of Colby's ability, while I'm appreciative of I, I would I like to see that fight on some level, BC, to answer your question? Sure. But it's like Colby is doing everything other than calling out relevant welterweights. To me, that's actually the story here. You're calling out Dustin Poirier and then sort of suggesting you go over to another division. So what? So where are you? Where are you? Are you still a guy who's in... Like, it, it, you can call out whatever you want, but to me, like the story is, A, as you indicated, Adesanya already has a date with Cannoneer, or at least you know uh, an eventual date with Cannoneer. And B, the other fight he wanted was Dustin Poirier. It's like, 
I'm supposed to hedge. I'm I'm supposed to believe that the guy who was calling out people outside of his weight class, a champion or a rival who was smaller on some level anyway, that that tells you that this is the overwhelming dominating machine who can just go to 185 and snatch the title when all the other middleweights couldn't. Um, maybe, maybe, certainly I would like to see it, but I'm a little bit skeptical that it's as easy as everyone thinks seems to think that it is. I think they make it this year, Luke. Unless, you unless. Think they do? Unless Izzy announces a full-time move to 205, and to be fair, Luke, if Prohachka wins this title and, and stops Glover and you're Izzy, it's not that you don't believe you can beat Prohachka, and it's not that you can't beat Prohachka, but that's not an opportune time to launch yourself back into the division. The opportune time is when there's a aging champion or a champion, and let's say a Blahovich at that time was perceived to be an aging fighter who stumbled into the belt, good for him, but Adesanya's going to beat him. And then he didn't. That's the time, I think, to parachute in the division. Or if John Jones is there and you make a super fight. I don't think he's just going to march in if it's, you know, any of these hammers. I think he's like, okay, let's see what happens. What is the, de what is the demand for this? Like, he beat Jorge Masvidal, and that's great. Like, he, we, we both thought he would, or at least I thought he would. And I think you respected the fact that what you saw was certainly possible ahead of time. But it wasn't like, you know... Like that performance is the one that wants us to now see what he can do skipping around across divisions. Like if anything, that fight made me think I would like to see him against other relevant welterweights to see exactly where he is still. Not, hey, let's shoot this guy to the moon because Anderson Silva just doesn't have any more opponents. Let's see what happens when we stick Forrest Griffin in front of him. Remember, like the Demi and Maya fight was considered so bad. And one of the theories after that fight was you know, a guy like Silva needs some people to come after him and like really take it to him and, and not just the kind of guy who's going to stand there and not do enough to make him elicit a response. So they sent in Griffin and Griffin got washed. We're putting Colby on that level now. Like he just doesn't have any t uh, anybody who can do anything to him. So we have to find these other guys in these other divisions to 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 see where he's at. Dude, like there's, there's a whole row of elite welterweights he hasn't even fought yet. Like I, I, I don't understand. No, I'm not that interested in this. Not Not at all. If it was Hamza, though, you could get a little more excited about it. Still need to see what's up with him. He beats Gilbert and then forget about it. At that point, no, yes, it's not going to be Hamza. Gotta... I'm just saying, maybe that. I mean, it's look. I don't want. I don't want this. Do I want Covington? I'm saying no. But do I think it could happen? Yeah, of course. I have. We've seen it. We've seen this happen before. Of course, we can see it happen. Sure. Any anything is possible in terms of how weird the matchmaking could be. But I don't really believe that there's like a big push for this at all. I don't buy that. It, it did take over the Twitterverse for a day or two. All right, Luke, uh, topic four. This will be quick, but top-ranked boxing's got a triple header this weekend. By the way, DAZN was supposed to have Virgil Ortiz Jr. back in a fight we don't really care about against McKinnon at welterweight. Virgil Ortiz had to pull out with a uh, weird Rabdo injury, right? No, yeah, it's not that weird. All the CrossFitters get it. They call it the rap, uh, Rabdo the Clown is the, how they named it. Rabdo is the short name for rhabdomyolysis. It's a, basically when you have essentially overtrained and your body is, for lack of a better description, turning on itself. And you can get really sick and fucked up. And you can lose muscle tissue and all kinds of stuff. It's actually pretty serious once you get to that point. So he yeah. overtrained to the point where he got sick, basically. Shout out to Virgil Ortiz Jr. of the unbeaten, promising welterweight prospect. But top rank ESPN this weekend, Luke. Madison Square Garden. Damn. We got a triple header. And Luke, being put in the main event is one precarious Edgar Berlanga, the unbeaten super middleweight. Yes. 24 years old. 18-0 with 16 KOs. We know him mostly for that stretch of 16 consecutive first-round knockouts, which led to him showing up on this show, talking about being best friends with Fat Joe. I mean, living the life. But, Luke, he went the distance two fights ago and looked okay. 
But in his last bout, he won a 10-round decision against Marcelo Esteban Coheres, but he suffered a left-torn biceps injury, which needed surgery. He got dropped in that fight after the injury happened. And uh, Luke, he just didn't look like the killer anymore. So he's going to be in there in this main event against Steve Rolls. And to be fair, Steve Rolls is a shiny, glossy record. But Luke, his only fight of like any note is when he filled in last minute G. against Triple G and got yeah. sent to hell in four rounds. So this is winnable. Well, I will say this. I, I rewatched that fight this morning in a, today's prep. Through the first three rounds, he did okay. <laughs> it was just after that, Triple G was like, fuck this. I have, I, have to, I, I need to get, I, I got to go catch the LIRR downstairs. I got to yeah, get out of here. Indeed. And indeed. then just, you know. Uh, Berlanga was uh, on, he talked to BoxingScene.com this week. He said about that, that fight in which he didn't look great. That showed I could fight through anything. I got another fight with getting rounds and I went the distance. It just showed that I got heart. I'm a warrior. And now he it's fought just about six rounds with a completely detached bicep. That yeah. cannot be easy. He said, it's about me tightening up my skills and executing it now, which is true. Luke, um, I'd say there's a little bit of pressure here. You know, you're putting him in the main event. You're putting him in there after a, a, a flawed appearance. Although, does he have an excuse for an injury? Of course. But, you know, I said it, Luke. It's a blessing and a curse when you get attention because of a streak like that, a first-round knockout streak, where it's like, if you don't knock the guy out, the hell are you doing, you know? And then you face any adversity, and we're just suddenly waiting for Humpty Dumpty to fall off, you know? Um, this kid's got pop. He's he's big. He's got charisma, confidence. Uh, he's going to have to go out there and blow Steve Roll Rolls away, you know, in the first half of this fight, I think, to keep that train moving in that direction. Yeah. Um, that's this is See, this is the part where you're like, okay, you can soft-pedal development for a while and I actually think it's beneficial and then it becomes kind of strange because after a performance like that with Berlanga it's like okay do you give him somebody who's like a really tough test after you know he looked kind of very ho-hum granted with a terrible injury but he looked kind of ho-hum uh you can do that uh, or you can give him somebody who he should really beat but then you also risk like what if he looks kind of ho-hum-ish against a guy he's really supposed to beat then you're like you're not I'm not sure what you're supposed to do in that kind of case so it's a it's a difficult situation. It's an opponent he should run through, but based on some of the doubts being raised more recently, you're like, what if he doesn't run through him? The the train might come out to a stop, but you might certainly slow down on all the hype. But then again, you know, he, Berlanga I think does have big power, and I think he can show that. So he should be okay. Should be okay. He's worth checking in on here from uh, New York, Puerto Rican uh, of descent, and also looking this co-main event uh, from Puerto Rico. 19-year-old Xander Zayas, uh, the junior middleweight, 12-0 with nine KOs. He'll be taking on yeah, he's good. Quincy Lavalis. That is a guy to watch in the boxing game here. Top Rank yep, does a good job awesome. with their prospects and matches them tough, so we'll see what happens. Let me ask Luke, you a question about Top Rank. Real, real, real th is it my, this may sound kind of weird, but for folks who don't know, if you look at the square footage of the island of Puerto Rico, no territory on earth has produced as many boxing champions as oh, Puerto yeah. Rico. Does Top Rank recruit and discover more Puerto Rican fighters than other promoters, or is that my imagination? No, I, I I would I would deem that to be true. I mean, certainly Don King had had his share in his prime as well. But in this I mean, modern like today, era, today, no question about it. You can even go further and say, although Golden Boy with Oscar De La Hoya and the Mexican American Connection, you know, finds great Mexican or Mexican American partners, Bob Arum has long had a working relationship with Fernando Beltran, who's a top promoter in in, um, in Mexico. And, and Beltran's uh, promotional company has always been sort of called like Latin top rank or Mexican top rank. And, you know, they've brought Juan Manuel Marquez and all these great stars to Bob and they've mm -hmm. co-promoted and stuff. So there's always been a Hispanic pipeline there for Bob. Uh, no question. Does that 
Does that play into Terrence I just, Crawford's I just racist see argument? His... I don't know. I, good God. No, yeah. it doesn't. The only reason but, I ask know. is I just, see, I just see Bob featuring a lot of Puerto Rican talent yeah. in ways that other major promoters, not that they don't feature Puerto Rican talent because there's so much of it, it's almost hard not to, but it, it does seem to me like Bob makes a real clear effort at it. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Bob uh, does a great job of, of always connecting Puerto Rico to New York and using that fan base and all that. No question about it. Uh, Luke, some quick hitters uh, to get us through here. Uh, you put this on my radar. It goes down this week in Dubai, and it is the yeah. being billed as the heaviest boxing match in history. When uh, is it Game of Thrones star and former yep. world's strongest man, Thor Bjornsson, who weighs in at 316 pounds in all six foot nine no, of no. him as we more than that 152 kilos so 335 look uh, at that that's he's got abs and he's 335 maybe i got the weights mixed up uh he'll be taking on fellow former world's strongest man eddie the beast hall who is six foot three he must be the one who's 316 pounds luke they both have the same 80 inch reach they're both former strong men you can watch this only on the Segi S-E-G-I, TV stream. I don't know what that means. But um, we not only have a picture of this large man on the scale, uh, Thor Bjornsson, we've got video of a little dust-up from their press conference, and yeah. then I'll get your reaction here. <laughs> I think. Let's see. Look, I will fucking talk about I think this interview is over because Paul can't control himself. I'll see you. See you. See you Saturday. See you Saturday, mate. I'll see you Saturday. I'll see you in the way in if you want to tear it up and not, not lose your temper. Uh, and he did that ball. Also disrespect to... Yeah. So, Luke, I get your interest, given the bodybuilding background, but how... Like, this does seem like some Jake Paul type stuff, so how... How should we oh, yeah. feel this for this for Saturday? How should we look to at this? Total cir- it's a total shit show circus. The powerlifting community and the world, the, the strongman community are all about it, about it. Basically, like the, people are telling the story a little differently. It actually goes back to, I think it was 2017, World's Strongest Man. I could be wrong about the date. But they these two were in the final on something called the Viking Press, which is where you have a bar, essentially like a square in front of you, and you don't press it overhead. You kind of press it out to the front. And uh, they there was a rep that uh, Half Thor did that did not count. So then Eddie had the most reps on that, but he felt he got cheated. And that kind of started a bit of a, a difference between them because actually Eddie Hall has a really good relationship with Brian Straw, an American strongman who's won it four times. And so it's not like a... It's a weird that those two would bump heads. Most of these strongmen are like really, really chummy with each other. So to get a dispute like this is somewhat, somewhat unheard of. And then there was the deadlift record during the uh, pandemic where Eddie Hall was the first one to deadlift, first man ever to deadlift 500 kilos. And then uh, Thor at his own gym, not at an event, but it was it was an event, but it was at his gym during the pandemic because no one could get around anywhere. He did over that. I think he did 501 or 502 kilos. And so he broke the record. But of course, Eddie Hall was like, that's a bullshit record because you didn't do it at a meet. It's different, blah, blah, blah. So all of that has combined together to make this what it is. They are clearly dramatizing it. Motherfucking half Thor Bjornsson can deadlift 500 uh, plus kilos and can't move a bunch of men the size of 
Jake the Von Amsterdam out of his way. Like, if he wanted to chuck those guys with one hand, he could do that. So it's obviously a total shit show circus. But I will say this for Thor, BC. He has spent this time because Eddie got injured in between. I think he tore his bicep as well, and they had to delay this fight and delay this fight. And if you actually notice what Thor has been doing, he took a bunch of uh, amateur fights and tried to really work his way through and got, you know, for a dude, 340 pounds. Both of these guys used to be well over 400 he moves pretty well. He moves pretty well. Um, we're gonna this. This could be a little bit of fun for a little while. So check it out. Yeah, uh, uh, Bjorn Thorn Bjornson, whatever you want to call him, Luke. He he has had a, a pro fight. I guess is it count as a pro yeah. fight? I don't know. He fought recently. Um, I only know about this. Well, you, but also my son Isaac has uh, Eddie the Beast Hall as his uh, screensaver on his laptop. He loves, you know, he loves uh, maybe getting inspiration from a man like that. So I'll be checking this out. Uh, it'll be interesting, Luke. It'll be sloppy. You'll probably see it on Mondays. Have you seen this shit? Uh, Luke, I mean, Anthony... Is this one going to go... Serious question. Do you think it makes it to the third round? I don't think there's No, they're going to gas or... I mean, look, that's a six-inch height advantage. They have the same reach, though, but the Thor is a big dude, man. I don't know if Eddie it's can very tall. take a punch or deliver one. We're going to find out, Luke, okay? Yeah, that's the other thing. That's the other thing about this one, too, is that most strongmen are... like The better ones are usually real tall. They're usually like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 uh, Bjornsson is 6'9". Eddie's only 6'3". That's a for, for a strong man, that is short. That's not that, that's not that yeah. big. So there's going to be a little bit of a, a difference there. Luke, we all know that uh, heavyweight, unified heavyweight champion Alexander Usyk is, is you know, putting boxing on the back burner and, and joining many a pro athlete from Ukraine and, good Lord, taking up arms on the front line. So the rematch with Anthony Joshua is certainly on hold but another quick hitter here, AJ went to the IG and put this announcement out in Let's see. questionable grammatical form. Announcement soon come, Luke. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Well, let's think about this. He lost to Usyk, so who the fuck knows what's going to happen with that. So he must be taking a stay busy fight, right? And Dillian White's all booked up. I hope it's not So a what dog. do you think? It can't be a donk, Luke. We can't be like a morning combat listener fight. You know what I mean? Like, come on. You're going to fight. Well, what about this? Would he fight a Chisora? Yeah. Yeah, he could. I mean, I wouldn't hate that. I mean, would he Would he fight the winner of Eddie the Beast Hall and Bjorn Thornbagger? Maybe, Luke. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Let's hope it's a big event. Thor Thornbag will fucking Thornbag box your fucking ass up. Believe All that. All right. Uh, Luke, another quick hitter. Jer... Maul Charlo, the WBC middleweight champion who was just announced is going to fight Machi Sulechki as part of the Showtime boxing rollout, appeared alongside Paul Pierce of Showtime in NBA fame on the Tyson hot boxing pod. And old Lions only got a little call out from Big Mike. Let's go to the videotape here. Yeah, dude, Mike, Mike was peer pressuring the fuck out of them. Like, you ever think about Benavidez? Would you fight him? I'll fight him for sure. Yeah. yeah. Then why you know, not getting you said he fight anybody. He ready. Right. You know why, that. You know know why, you not, why they not letting you fight this guy? It's I got like, this guy got me calling him the Mexican monk. Everybody's scared of this guy. I hear nah, you saying man. you want to fight. I, I just think his value is low. He's not worked as much as uh Oh fighting, God fight, damn. Man. Fight like <laughs> I'd rather like get one of the best in the world right now that got a belt. Then why are you not fighting um sure, I'm just waiting. I'm right. He called Canelo off for five, six years already. Then fight the next best guy, the Mexican monster. Who? Benavidez. He ain't no Mexican monster. Oh, Everybody's scared of him. Nobody's Nobody fighting scared him. Of, no, uh, we box. We're not yeah. scared of no human on earth. 
Please call these I'm people not out. Listen, the whole world's looking at you. Call these people out. What's please. up? It's the Jamal the Hitman Charlo. Let's get it. Who want it? <laughs> Name them names, man. <laughs> they know who they is. Name them names, <laughs> please. The names need to be right, named. They know who they is. <laughs> the Mexican monster. Why is Mike dressed so nice? Normally he's like tripping on shrooms and barely showing up to there. Luke, is he right? Mike, Mike don't have time for these games, man. Mike doesn't have any time for these games. I love it from him. By the way, I got to tell you, a lot of people were hitting me up being like, why isn't Charlo fighting David Benavides? Because we know Benavides is fighting Lemieux. And, um, you know, he's kind of busy. And folks were asking. And then, obviously, Jamal has a, a fight against Seleski. So, you know, why didn't you just skip that and then go to these two? I, dude, these boxers, I, I don't know how to explain this to people. It's not that these fights don't get brought up to them in the in the various negotiations at some point, but at some point it just kind of all falls apart. Now, BC, who do you blame? You want to blame Dan Benavidez? Benavidez? You want to blame Charlo? I don't know, but I love Mike's attitude, dude. You got to peer pressure yeah. these guys to take it. And I think eventually, listen, I think eventually, I'll say this, if Charlo looks good and Benavidez looks good, there is going to be some real momentum behind this fight. But I, I listen, I like what Mike's doing. Dude, fucking pressure these. And listen, we can't do that because we're not Mike Tyson. But Mike exactly. Tyson can be like, yo, call those names by name. <laughs> um, I think if there's any sort of corporate responses is like, would this fight be hard to make? In theory, no, they both fight under the PBC banner for Al Heyman, but it would be Jamal moving up in weight in, in Benavidez. Luke, this is the only problem right now. He doesn't have a title, right? And as much as we say right. titles don't matter, just make the big fights. I'd love to see they this do. fight right now. But if you make this fight... They're probably both going to want a certain level of money that it might have to be a pay-per-view fight. And if there's no title at stake, you get it. We might have to build toward it, which is what we do in boxing. I know a lot of people think that a lot of people are scared in boxing. And it's true. People do obviously, obviously manicure their records. There's no doubt about it. Everyone's kind of guilty of it on some level. But the more I get into boxing, the more I'm like, dude, the way in which financial incentives, financial incentives structure deals and what gets made we already knew that was important, but it's like way more important than you ever realized. It is really the driving determinant of what of what happens. So yeah, we got to find a way to make that profitable. Got to find a way to make that profitable. Luke, there's a lot of people fighting this weekend. Some like Eddie the Beast, who've never done it before. How about this beast stepping forward? MMA fighting zone and a friend of the larger combat sports community, E. Casey Lydon, the the husband, of course, of uh, of the goat when it comes to uh, photography. Correct, Luke. I mean, the GOAT. Yeah, but also Casey is probably the most underrated, important member of the MMA media that doesn't get heralded for his abilities, too. Well, Luke, he joined the Wimp to Warrior program, uh, and he's going to have his amateur MMA debut this Saturday in Los Angeles. The card is Celtic or Celtic, your choice, Gladiator 31. Uh, his only thing I know about his opponent is his last name is Frauendorf. Uh, if you do want more, uh, Casey did a did a lengthy interview with with Ariel on MMA fighting, and like he should, shout out to him for taking this step. Luke, we have a look of Casey's fighting shape here as we get closer. He's taking this very serious. He told Ariel he wants three fights before he gets out. Luke, he's a regular donk for the most part, like us, probably around our age. But dude, he's he's doing what a lot of us, you know, can't won't. It's not even a conversation. He's going for it, Luke. Much Casey's respect, much respect. Luke, you know Casey a lot better than I do through the years. How do you yeah. sort of explain him him taking this move here? I think Casey is one of the... Casey has been involved intimately inside the MMA business 
since the pro elite days. And you're like, who's pro elite? Right, exactly. He's been doing it since then. And he's always just been a videographer, just kind of sticking the camera in everyone's face, but he's been in all the gyms. He knows all the fighters. He was Ariel's number one cameraman for all those years when Ariel was doing all of those on-the-ground interviews of the media days and everything else. When they did the walk-and-talk with Rampage and, and Connor, he was the guy backing up, filming everything. Casey has been at the forefront of, of MMA, either with Ariel or anybody else, for just a long time. And you talk to him at these fights, dude, he knows so much. It, he knows just as much as you and I, if not more. It's really quite amazing to talk to him. And what happened from what I can tell from afar, I've not seen the interview yet with Ariel, but what I can tell from afar was that um, he was just always like uh, just a regular dude, basically, who was good at videography. And then during the pandemic, he began to lose a lot of weight. He got his health in order, and I saw him, forget it, one of the UFC shows, and I was shocked at how much weight he was. He was never fat or anything, but, you know, just a dad bod or something. And then he lost a bunch of that weight, kind of taking his health seriously, and I guess... I guess they must have approached him and pitched him the idea. And here's a guy who has done everything you could possibly do inside of MMA other than MMA itself. So I think he decided to give it a try. And I have just, I couldn't have more respect for him. And I want to make this clear. I know Esther gets a lot of credit and every piece of credit she gets is well-deserved. Please make no mistake about that. In fact, she probably doesn't even get enough. But I've long believed that Casey, in terms of his videography skills, both in terms of getting content fast to an editor, and then making it so good. I just never had problems when he was my videographer. Shit arrived on time. It looked beautiful. It was shot well. He always has all the gear he needs. He, dude, he's a pro's pro, and his yeah. eye for videography is so special. I couldn't say enough nice things about Casey. I really couldn't. Of course, Esther Lynn, long time. Showtime, formerly MMA fighting, uh, a legend herself in the game. Um, yeah, Luke, I, I'm, I, look, obviously we're cheering for him here. This is This is... This is wild. This is wild. You know what I mean? This is wild, dude. This is really wild. And to, and so. to, ma and to make yourself vulnerable like this in the way that he's doing, because, you know, you go out there and lose, and we won't really hold it against him. But, you know, that's obviously a source of pride, and he's yeah. put a ton of effort into this. It, it would obviously be hugely impactful for him. I really hope he goes out there and shines, because he deserves it. And the guy it. he's fighting is uh, entered the same program, the Wimp to Warrior. And, Luke, just to, for reference, that's what Rich Chow, the former Bellator matchmaker, left Bellator to go to full-time, correct? Yes, and I, I, if uh, if Corey's back there, if you can throw the poster up one more time, Wimp to Warrior did change their name. They're now called Alta, A-L-T-A. Um, I guess it was a rebrand because the company has grown beyond what it normally was, and you can see there. Uh, they, it's called Gladiator Challenge or whatever it is, but Alta, right above where it says Leiden versus Frauendorf, that's the name of the company, and um, they appear to be you know, they uh, on a high note themselves, actually, so... Congrats to them, and I really wish nothing to Casey but the best of outcomes, and, I, and I'm really proud of him for doing this. What does Casey's E stand for, Luke? Uh, I, he's told me before. Um, because if you're going to make that your name, people are going to ask. Does it stand for ecstasy? What does it stand for? I've forgotten. He has ecstasy told me before. I've forgotten. That's Maybe what they said, EMF. Remember that one-hit wonder band, EMF? They had this song, Y'all Unbelievable. Oh, what? The, 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 I'll just say, dude, if you ever, if anyone's out there watching this and you ever get the chance to work with Casey, you will not regret it. You, you bother me with it. your question. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Luke. Um, Schubert Dip was that album. EMF, they said it stood for ecstasy, motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying, Luke? You know that. You know that shit, Luke. Do you think he's older than us? Is e Casey Lydon older than us? Yes, he, he's older than us. He's like 45, 46. Mm -hmm. Okay. Going after it. Uh, Luke, UFC teasing... 
A huge Abu Dhabi announcement in the last 24 hours saying UFC 281 October 22nd. According to the promotion, this will take place at Etihad Arena and cap off the Abu Dhabi Showdown Week with a blockbuster event headlined by a crowd-pleasing title bout. It's still unclear, Luke, which champion will defend their belt there. Make a prediction for me. Who will be the main event of UFC 281 on October 22nd in Abu Dhabi? Dude, I would I couldn't possibly guess at this point. Probably Makachev, maybe. He was calling for one. That was one he wanted. Um against Dariush. I'm guess I'll say that. How about that? Makachev versus Dariush. That that that's the title? best I can do. There ain't no titles for that, Luke. No, you could put an interim one on that. They just said it'd be a big title fight at the top. That's all I'm yeah. saying, Luke. <laughs> that, what, what does that got to do with being interim or not? They'll say whatever. Uh, it could be John Jones versus Stipe for the interim belt for all we know, Luke, right? For all we could know. Could be. Uh, could be. Could be. Yeah, could sure. be. Uh, finally, Luke, and quickly, but Jake Paul's name got referenced once again on the Endeavor earnings call, and Ari Emanuel, the CEO, was asked by an investor point blank about the pressure Jake Paul has put on um, media-wise for fighter pay. Ari came back, Luke, with some pro-company quotes about how much they've paid the increase to fighters over the last decade plus. But Luke, obviously a lot of us in the know are going, uh, yeah, bro, but you've increased your your earnings over that same period by like 600%. Luke, is he just not with it or is this a calculated defense strategy? On how to keep Dude, that away. If you're the UFC, if you're the UFC, what are you supposed to do with all of this? Right? You have a you have a business model. You have a business model that allows you to keep upwards of 80% of the revenue. If you had a business this big with that kind of margin, you are gonna try and hold on to that with all your might. You really are. That doesn't mean they don't use to his point. Some of the some of the money in a very forward thinking way with the institutes and, and and everything else that they've done and getting overseas deals and getting on television and massaging those markets, no doubt about it, that is true. But that's why they're gonna they're not dude they're not gonna let go of this business model until a mechanism that they cannot control forces them to a court order, a law, something, something where they actually have to comply. But short of that, they're gonna find anything they can say, and so they have this are totally disingenuous. It was, um, I think it was uh, Lawrence Epstein. He was accusing people of saying that fighter pay is bad as being somewhat disingenuous. I'm not sure around which argument specifically, but then he cites like, oh, well, Jake Paul's been trolling and we see this sort of rise in workers uniting around like Amazon and Starbucks and whatnot and and then fighters using it for leverage. Some of, all of that is probably true that it feeds the current climate, but I'm going to humbly submit to UBC, maybe the reason <laughs> that people think that they pay low is because we now have documents from them stating exactly what they pay and what their plans are for the future to keep it exactly there. Like he's like, where does this 16 or 17% figure come from? From the court documents that UFC S. submitted. It's from in the their papers. Like, where did it come from? The, yeah. BC. The call is coming from inside the house. That's where it's coming from. Hi. Do you like scary movies? Yeah, Luke. Do you like course, do you dog. do you like do you like your your purse split between win and show? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That donk Ari Emanuel, Luke. He's just swimming in money. He don't know the re. He don't know the real. Well, he, right? he he, the I saw a stat. I saw a stat for his yearly earnings. He got a hundred million more than what the entire UFC roster was paid last year. Yikes! 
he got a hundred million more on top of it. So nice. it's like, dude, like the U and the UFC should be happy, dude. They're making a shit ton of money. Good for them. They, uh, no one can say they didn't earn it. But I'm surprised you got to share a little bit more. Marshall Rogan IU Luke as the reason why fighter pay has turned around, Luke. Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, they, they reached out to me too. They seem like nice folks, but um, is that named after Joe's dog? Yeah, so they had to change it. They had to change it. So it was like Marshall Rogan Inu, and now it's just Marshall Inu. So um, I don't. I'm not. I wish him luck, but I. I don't. Yeah. I don't think that will yeah. solve the problem. Yeah. All right, Luke. Um, we get a lot wrong each week because I mean we're willing to stand in front of that. Yes, we do for for long periods, and you email us about it. Morning combat at gmail.com is the home for your Wednesday fan subs. And on Friday, when we look in the mirror, we get presented with the L, we read the receipt about the L, and we would determine whether we should spread it wide and sit on that L. It's called Dead Wrong. <laughs> All righty, then. Uh, this first one's from Laurie. Laurie? Laurie? Um, Spell it. Spell it. L-A-W-R-I-E. Lowry? I've never heard of that spelling. Lowry. Is that just a fun Not way Lowry? to write Larry? Lowry? Lowry? Um, on Wednesday show, BC said Alex. So, Luke, I've been pronouncing. I might get dead wrong for this. I've been pronouncing it Alex Padeda, but it's really Alex what? Pareda? I, I, I don't know either. I thought it was Pareda. 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 I'm just Americanizing it. I know. I could just call him Pereira yeah, if you guys want me, me to. Too. All right. Um, I said that he knocked Israel Adesanya out in Glory Kickboxing when it was actually in a different promotion called Glory of Heroes. An easy mistake. Heard it both ways. Love the show. Laurie. Luke, is this true? Yeah, it is true. Although, for folks who don't understand, that happened at that event. But this is where it gets confusing. Pereira was also a double champ in real glory, in actual yes. glory. So, yes. like, that's where that's that's the that's the thing there. So, it's a rival promotion, though. Glory of Heroes, correct? I think it's yeah. I think it's like a, I'm not sure what it. I can't, dude. Or is it like the kickboxing a sub, world is not a, strong a subletting sort of, of glory? I don't know. Look, you're you're the guy yeah. who used to work for Glory. In fact, my Showbox producer Richie Gone said he was your producer back when you used to suck Rich, it up, as you said for Glory. Yeah, Richie was the man. He probably tolerated how awful I was at that job. But um, candidly, it, dude, once once I was really sort of in all in on MMA fighting stuff, I didn't have much time for anything but MMA. So now yeah. I'm kind of branching back out, but. Look, you notice they're pushing the shit up out of those adult film t-shirts. On the lower third just keeps coming out. Why don't you just put it full screen, Corey? I mean, what are you trying to? Is RJ have a gun to your head right now? He's like, bro, we got to move those. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> now, Corey, this is like okay. Did the listeners I, hear? Hold that? on, hold on, Corey, Corey, Corey. Did the did the audience hear you there or no? Okay, oh, so Corey you, says. Right? Here's what Corey said. Corey said he was instructed anytime there's a sexual reference to put the shirt on the screen. BC is now amazed at having his sexual references <laughs> thrown back at him. He's like, wow, these are a lot. Yes, BC, <laughs> they like, are a lot. I'm like, what message are we putting out there to the people? All right, uh, this is from Nicholas, N-I-K-L-A-L-A-S, Nicholas. Hi, guys. Nicholas. During episode on February 25th, a Friday, at 9 minutes and 10 seconds, Luke is proudly showing his bookshelf in the studio. He calls okay. Thomas Piketty's famous work Picking. Capitalism. That's dead wrong. It is not even Did named I? capitalism. The book's actual name is Capital in the 21st century. Yes, it I is. I suppose Luke, like myself, likes to show off by having the book in the shelf, 
but has never taken the time to read this piece of complicated <laughs> economics. Best regards from Stockholm, Sweden. Okay. Wow. He's he's mostly right. He's mostly right. I'll, I'll take a little bit of an L there. It's not technically true, but here's my rule, BC. Here's my rule. On these books, for sure, this is 100% true. It's either a book I fully read or a book I partly read as like a chapter or two for college, if it was like a reference book. So if I've cracked it or used it at a, at a class or I read it fully, it's on here. The Piketty book a friend told me about, he was like, you got to read this because it, it, it is prime. This is the only thing I read. It's a, I think the book is like seven or 800 pages. It's fucking huge. I've read maybe 30 pages on one small little argument about um, income inequality and where it went. So it's not technically true that he's right, but he's mostly fucking right. Unbelievable. About that. So it's, take, that would be like me going, okay, what record, what piece of vinyl can I order that I haven't listened to, but that people are going to think I'm super cool and put it up there on the <laughs> shelf. You know what I mean, Luke? Come cool. On. I don't think so. It was, I was, I was just trying to fill it up with something that I thought was interesting. I'll take the L there. I'll take no wonder why there. Ashley didn't buy your books initially. Hey, Luke, you made all the other ones there. I've read, I've read almost cover to cover. Hey, I'll shout out to Ashley. Okay. Ashley, a, she really helped us out today. Luke Gaff was off and I'm sending him all these last minute videos to put up. You should, you should have heard Ashley complaining. I mean, yeah, she was pissed, right? Yeah. I think she's unhappy because so, every time I see her, I'm like, are you, are you still engaged? Is this still, did you give it up yet? Is this still <laughs> happening? And Luke, I don't mean that nefariously or grossly. I just sort of like, Hey Luke, you know, you're still alive. Everything good. Okay, cool. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. You're like, you know, you just see cancer patients and you go, don't you go dying on me. Yeah, I'm just yeah, saying yeah. I like dumb and dumber. Yeah. All right, Luke. Uh, Michael says, hey, guys, I love your show, but I'm just dropping in with this quick dead wrong. On Monday, March 14th, BC was dead wrong when he called Chris Moutinho Alex Moutinho. Who the fuck is Alex Moutinho, BC? I got to get some <laughs> athletic greens since you guys are sponsored by it. But I think I'll pass because obviously it don't do shit for brain health, considering BC's <laughs> cognitive functions are less reliable than a flaming bag of shit. I'll stick to smoking weed. Thank you, Michael. Okay, Luke. Um, he, he wants you to know he likes marijuana, BC. Yeah, sir. This is an Arby's. Wow. Uh, I guess I'll t Is that my wrong, Luke? Who the hell is Alex Moutinho? Is that a soccer coach or something? Or uh, I make that up? Oh, that, there's Jose Mourinho, but that's not Moutinho. That's who I'm probably... Now, who's, let me type it in. Who's Alex Moutinho? Let's see. The guy's got know. an Instagram. He's a... He's a CrossFitter, Luke. Yeah. There you uh, go. CrossFitter. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I was looking at his DMs and it was just subconscious. At least I didn't say like, you know, <laughs> a UFC <laughs> strawweight or something. Right, Luke? Um, this is from Caesar again. Caesar's back. This is the final dead wrong, Luke. Uh, hey, Luke, you old bitch. On Wednesday's edition of MK, you said Tom Aspinall hasn't even tasted the second round. When he, in fact, submitted... ATT's Arlovsky. Andre Arlovsky yeah. in round two. You're still yep. my favorite washed vaping donk, but when you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Right. I got that wrong. Sorry about that. My brain doesn't work very well anymore. You need more athletic greens, Luke. I need a lot more than athletic. As good as it is, I think I need a little more help than <laughs> you're that. You're like, does athletic greens make a vaping cartridge yet? Because <laughs> I'll, I'll just ingest that shit that way. Yeah, all right. Uh, Luke, I think he Corey did tell the fans if... about his athletic greens, but the most disgusting See, okay. swamp water tadpole bullshit I've ever seen in my gross. life. So here's what I do. You're it's only so allowed gross. one scoop 
of AG1 in your water per day. You can have more, motherfucker. You don't need just one. I mean... No, I think it's just one. I think too much would be too much good stuff for you, Luke, right? So I take Maybe. the scoop. I put it in a water bottle. I fill that water bottle, but I don't shake it aggressively, Luke. So then when I'm, you know, nine-tenths done with the first water bottle, there's still a good amount of compound at the bottom. So then I refill it with water. And Luke, by the end of it, I get six or seven full jugs here, all tasting like athletic greens. Now, look, to me, it's the same marriage bed, Luke. Is it a little gross? Is there, you know, but yeah, but you're not inside here. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like, I don't think that's, I mean, is it like me openly dipping? No, it's not that gross, Luke. Just, just start drinking your own piss. You might as well just be a piss drinker. BC, the piss drinker. Um, shout right? out to everybody. Luke, I don't think this show kept our hitting streak alive of just getting better every episode. But, Luke, we are um, award-winning. We are coming on. And uh, you and I, next week, Luke, we're going to broadcast Morning Combat at least one time from a uh, new location. Are we not? Yes, we are. We're going to have a new location for that Wednesday show, if memory serves. I think that's right. Um should be a lot of fun. Okay. Luke and I taking our towns to South Beach. Got some important business to do. Some important content to make. Maybe some celebrities involved. We'll see, Luke. Okay? A lot of famous people that live in South Florida. Okay? Anna Kornikova. Does she live in South Florida? I'm assuming. She's married to what's his name, right? He's Miami-based. I don't know who she's married to. Um... Not not Ricky Martin, the other guy, Luke. The other guy. Who? The the other prominent early 2000s singer of songs like By Lamos, Let the Rhythm Take You Over, Luke. Enrique Iglesias? There it is. Yep, they've been married since 2001, Luke. Are you trying to say this Where is did you front? say he was from? Miami. He lives in Miami, right? Enrique Iglesias is Spanish. Is he not allowed to live in Miami, which has a huge Spanish culture, Luke? You mean a Hispanic culture? I don't know how much Spanish uh, culture is down there. All right, big all difference. Right. Yeah, it was a good, good time to get out of the show now, Luke, while we're going to be a Dude, Dominican Republic shit. and Mexico yeah. is Hispanic culture. That is widely distinct from Spain Spanish culture. They are not the same. They are very, very different. Luke, there's a lot so of Spanish clear. being spoken in South Florida, okay? That's all I... There's a lot of English that. being spoken in America. That don't mean we have tea with the fucking queen. That's a big difference, bro. Big difference. I mean, I mean, you motherfucker, right? You know what I mean? Like, like who do, you, like, who do you think you're educating right now, Luke? Dude, there's just a difference. Spanish culture from Spain is widely distinct from a lot of the other Spanish-speaking cultures from the Western Hemisphere. They are and not, all I said was he lives in Miami. What did I say? He that might. He might live in Miami. I'm just saying there's a difference. God damn. Because before that, she was banging Pavel Bure when he lived in Miami playing for the damn, uh, what do you call it, Luke, right? Uh, who is that? Pavel Bure? Bure? Remember him? Damn, he dude, was my brain doesn't work anymore. Number who 10 is that? from the Vancouver Canucks, Luke. He was the... He, you couldn't handle him on NHL 94 on uh, Sega. Oh, Luke, he was too quick, I vaguely right? remember this. Yes, he, yes, yes. He I played with the Panthers. Late, but they claim, Luke, they claim that he did like a, 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 a Pat Berry and whoever uh, whoever uh, Aspen Lads coaches. They claim that he did one of those with her, Luke. Okay. Well, it's a free country. You can recruit. 
free country, Luke. Okay. Wow. How did you know the the real the real question is how do we end up here? That's the real question, Luke. The good news is we don't have to stay here. We can just go. Yeah, let's go home. Corey's right. Uh, we'll be in Florida next week, and we'll be giving you yep. just, just fuck, just great shit, great content. Go to morningcombat.store. Take a test ride with our merch. Um, I don't think you're going to be disappointed, okay? It's always there for you, all right? You can always put it on no matter what you're doing. All right. Um, Luke, do you want to thank anybody? Do you want to shout anybody out? Yes, I want to thank the entire Malka crew this past week who I know were in some cases shorthanded or in other cases had a lot of stuff sprung on them at the last minute. And they really, I thought, did a pretty uh, admirable job trying to accommodate all of our many requests and challenges, especially on the fly. So I always appreciate what they do when we're in studio. Thank you so much. That was very heartfelt. I appreciate that. Uh, Showtime.com will get you 30 days free. Bellator Championship Boxing. Uh, w. Kamal Bell's incredible. We need to talk about Bill Cosby documentary series. Check out all that and then some tall, pale, and handsome. Fridays with BC is about art, but we're about to put this thing in the books. Uh, Corey Manich on the ones and twos. Thank you, sir. I continue to encourage you that um, while this is your career from now, your passions in music. Get there. Get there. He's not responding. Um, shout out to EKC Lydon. Good luck to you this weekend, sir. We respect you all as well. Uh, enjoy the fights, fans. Thank you for uh, for your support. Like, subscribe. Um, we don't we don't do anything without you. And if you keep voting us to for awards, who knows what's going to happen next, Luke? Uh, can't, Luke, I got to find out if we won that shit. I got. I mean. And we got, you know, we didn't shout it out. We were in the studio on Wednesday and we had our People's Choice Influencer Award there as well, Luke. The hardware's just piling up, okay? Piling up, son. We'll see what else happens as we move forward. All right. For Luke Thomas, for the great staff that makes this show possible, my name is Brian Campbell. Showtime Malka, CBS Sports. Thank you for your patronage. Um, RIP Bob Saget and Kobe and anyone else that, that we've lost. Um, Two words. We're about to lose. We're about to lose the viewers. Let's call it a about day. About to lose our sponsors. Uh, we out. We out. <laughs>